This summer, we're bringing you double Koi gig. For me, she's the best English centre-back. Play your best players in their best position. I don't think the captain is droppable, particularly after making the statement of dropping Steph Houghton. Subscribe to the OTB Koi gig pod on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. So we return to the weekly drama that is Manchester United. Daniel Harris. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, Hello, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Um, I'm reading uh, reports of training sessions at the moment. That's what. That's the stage we're at with um, the Manchester United correspondent. It's a tough piece. <laughs> and yet, it's genuinely interesting in a way that um, they're... they're Maybe, maybe they didn't have the access under the previous manager to, to try and see exactly what was happening. But it does seem like uh, Ten Hag wants everybody to know we're, we're changing our style of play. I'm in charge of the training sessions. I'm telling the players literally what to do. And this is our future. So what, when you're reading those, are you seeing stuff that makes you think, OK, yeah, there's an adult in the room. This is all good. Or are you like, well, what's going on here? We, we're still a little bit behind where we need to be. It's funny, I laughed when you said that we're seeing training sessions because that does feel like a piece of news, doesn't it? Because for the last little bit of time, United haven't looked like they, coached, they were coaching anyway, really, under Ralph Rangnick. Under Solskjaer, it was a little bit different. You could see that some things were coached. The way that they were able to counterattack was excellent. But in terms of general controlling play, that wasn't the case. And I think that's going to be quite a significant change um, and under the new management, the, the aim will be to try and dominate games. And uh, Eric Ten Hag has managed a team in a different league, but a team who were able to control games. And everything that everyone is saying is that the players are enjoying the sessions. I mean, I don't just mean the stuff that they're saying to MUTV or whatever, but, but some of the writers who obviously have some contacts on the ground do seem to think that things are improving in that aspect. And I think we were sat here last, last season saying for most of the season that although this team is absolutely dreadful, they needn't be as dreadful as this. And uh, I think we will see something better because it's not possible for any of these guys to play worse than they did last season. The um, the specific bit that I was reading about was um, where Aaron Wan-Bissaka was being told to tuck in when the ball was on the other side of the field and how uh, Malaysia, the new left-back, is far more adept at actually doing the, the thing that the, the manager wants. So, um, I, I mean, in a way, I, I mean, I, I think um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka got completely written off. I still think he'd make a really good centre-back. But anyway, uh, m- maybe just coaching the players is all they actually need to be better than they were. And... The, the transfer window is actually less important than getting more out of the current players? Uh, I wouldn't say one was more important than the other. I think the thing with Juan Bissaka is that he did have some potential and he things things didn't go well for him last season. So the problem I would say with him is you say he could be a good centre-back and sometimes you watch him and think that, but his inability to look over his shoulder and defend the back post is one of those things that you shouldn't really need telling about and you would definitely... If, you, if you're not able to do it as a right-back, then doing it in a different position would also be problematic. I think the thing with Wan-Bissaka in particular, apart from that back post thing, which is, has been a massive problem all the time he's been at United, is that the improvements on the ball that you hope to see weren't so forthcoming because Wan-Bissaka got to youth team level as a winger. So I kind of assume that with a little bit more coaching, perhaps a little bit more confidence to go and do the things he would be able to do them because how else could you have possibly got that far as a winger? 
um, then you would watch United play and obviously United would totally focus on the left wing and that meant that you got much less out of Jaden Sancho when he was playing on the right and that was a lot to do with Wan-Bissaka. So if you look at the diagrams of where, uh, where Jaden Sancho gets the ball on the left versus on the right, he gets the ball in much better positions when he's been playing on the left because on the right he gets no help. And that means the teams can almost forget about United's right wing because they can concentrate their resources on defending the left. And then if the ball does get switched over, it's likely to be only one player who's going to be any kind of danger. Now, if Eric, I mean, very early on, we were told that Eric Tenach had told Wan-Bissaka he could go. Now, that may or may not be the case, but it did. I mean, you talked about Malassia. It's kind of strange that not the United signed a left back because I think what's happened there is Tenach has said, this guy's brilliant and he's cheap. We must get him. And even though a left-back's not as necessary as a right-back. But there doesn't don't seem to be any plans to sign a right-back. The rumours you see about United, apart from Urien Timber, who's not coming, who was presumably being signed as centre-back anyway, who might be able to cover a couple of other positions, but there are no connections with the right-back. So it would seem amazing to me if the manager decided that he thought that Dallo and Wan-Bissaka were sufficient in that area. I don't think he'd want to rely on Ethan Laird at this point but perhaps he wants to see all three of them before deciding what he's going to do in that position. Uh, I guess the the other thing that's interesting is that he's going to stick with the outgoing captain, which is one of those big decisions that the captain of Manchester United is a totemic figure in English football. And um, I guess he's decided, I have Harry Maguire here. I'm not going to get enough money to replace him. So again, maybe I'm going to try and use him as something that uh, will be a useful asset for me. And one way of doing that is to tell him I, I love him and I believe in him and uh, it's, it's man management. Does this Is this something that is uh, hopeful for Manchester United fans or is it a bit concerning? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure because what he said was that yeah, Maguire is the captain, but if, you, if he's committing 50 million, 50 million euros or whatever it could be to sign, um, to sign Lisandro Martinez, then... Harry Maguire's not going to play every game, probably, is he? Because, uh, assume, I mean, obviously, Varane is always capable of uh, sustaining some kind of injury. But if everyone's fit, then Maguire's not necessarily going to be in the team. So if Maguire's not in the team, then you make a different decision. But I think that turning up, and before you've played any games, telling someone who, upon whom you currently have to rely that they're not going to be captain anymore... Uh, at the same time, agitating them and anyone else who might be their mates in the squad before anyone's actually played any football just doesn't seem like a move. I think what we'll know what happens, what's going to happen with Harry Maguire, not based on what Tenach says in a pre-season, before a pre-season's even started, but what he says if and when he has a different option. And if he's got Varane and, um, and Martinez available, then seems unlikely that you would go and spend 50 million quid on someone for them to be good next season or for them to take six months to settle in or whatever. The plan, I imagine, would be that he's your left-sided centre-back because he's left-footed, he's got a good range of passing. And then the other, the other position is between, they've got Lindelof, Varane and uh, Maguire. And if they're all fit, that doesn't sound like a very difficult decision as to who you're going to pick. Do you think Ten Hag is planning for life with or without Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, Ronaldo, the thing about Ronaldo is that it seemed a strange way to go about getting a move it, by, by, by briefing that you wanted one to various people unless you had an out. And increasingly, it sounds like he doesn't have a particular out because if he did, 
it feels like that might be further along by now. So it doesn't look like Chelsea are going to buy him. doesn't look like Bayern Munich are going to buy him. And apart from those two clubs, where on earth could he possibly go to have any chance of winning the Champions League? The answer is not obvious. So I think there's a fairly reasonable chance that Ronaldo is going to stay for that, just because even if, if even just for that reason alone, he doesn't have anywhere to go who can afford to, they can afford to pay his wages and he can play in the Champions League and have a chance of winning it. Does that create a little bit of a backlog? Not a sorry, a backlog. Does that create a, a little bit of an issue in the sense that United would have been forced into? just bringing in some new blood into attacking positions, probably signed a new centre-forward, even just by into the fact that they would have had Ronaldo's wages off off the books and that forward planning in that position just gets pushed back a tad. Does that concern you at all? Uh, I don't think so, because although United were interested in Darwin Nunez, apart from that, there aren't many obvious centre-forwards on the market who you would go and sign and say, this one is the one to have. I also think that I think what they would probably have been trying to do is try and spend the money, like try and do the midfield and the defence this summer, give the attackers another chance because there are some good players there. If you've, you've got Elanga, you've got Sancho, um, you've got Rashford, it looks like you've probably got Martial as well. And those, those players can do much more than they showed that they could do last season. Plus you've also got Bruno Fernandes, who's a reliable goal scorer. So I think that the idea would probably be that the midfield just need, needed needed sorting immediately. So they're trying to get De Jong in to play there, and it looks like they've already got Christian Eriksen. So that area of the side has started. They've signed one defender, they're trying to sign another defender. And I think then the idea would be to see, to see what happens with the attackers that they've got this season, including Ronaldo. Then Ronaldo leaves, and he spent then... Because you've dealt with most of the rest of the team, then what, almost the entirety of the transfer budget next season, if you need it, you can spend on the best striker available. And that kind of money wouldn't necessarily be available this summer. And also, you don't necessarily know what kind of player you're after or who that player is. Now, that's not a foolproof, that's not a foolproof scheme because let's assume Ronaldo doesn't stay. Let's assume Ronaldo stays this summer, but then leaves when his contract runs out the following summer. Then whoever you buy is not going to be the same kind of striker as Ronaldo because that player doesn't really exist. So the question then is, can Tenach get Ronaldo to do some, to do what he needs him to do? Will, will Ronaldo do it? Is he prepared to? Or can you find a workaround that means the team can function with Ronaldo not quite doing what Tenach would usually want the centre-forward to do? And then next season, you can slot someone in once you've got a more coherent team, a better idea of whether Marcus Rashford's going to be any use anymore a better idea of what whether Elanga is going to be good enough and then you take a view as to you know what kind of striker you want and you've got a better idea because the players that you might sign have all had another year to try and to try and show whether or not they're good enough the point you were making earlier on about Jaden Sancho's game being impacted by playing in front of Aaron Wan-Bissaka the whole team will be impacted if there is a requirement to play Ronaldo and I mean you know obviously He's not required to, but there will be this sense that you have to pick Ronaldo because he's the goal scorer and it might not be the right thing for the team. So that that's a difficult balancing act for a new manager who wants to win the fans over, who wants a, a long-term future at the club and who has to find a solution to a problem that didn't really end up being easily found last season by two separate managers. 
Um, that's true, but I think um, I mean Ten Hag has managed that kind of Ajax, so where he for a while he played Dusan Tadic up front, and that succeeded nicely, and then he replaced him with Sebastian Allaire, who's a completely different player, and that worked too. I think the decision you might need to make with Ronaldo is what do you want him to do? Do you want him to? Because last season he sort of found himself almost playing two positions where he'd be trying to come deep and get involved in the play, but then you'd also need him more or less playing between the width, width of the posts. I think that he's much more likely to get one set of sensible instructions this season than he got last season. I think that also, if you think about the fact that teams were just strolling through United, there was no midfield buffer really so teams were able to get through United in the field quite quickly United weren't able to retain possession and control games and one of the reasons the mid- one of the reasons the midfield needs sorting is just because the current existing players aren't good enough but another reason the midfield needs- needed sorting was because the combination of players didn't allow you to control the game should United get Frankie de Jong that will give them a much better a much better chance of controlling games and if you've got that it means that you're taking the pressure off the defence because they're not constantly getting attacked uh, because they get, they, there's some ballast in front of them. But also you're getting much more out of the attackers because you're going to create much more just by virtue of having much more of the ball and much better quality possession with the ball. To, to, so that to, also will mean that you get more out of Ronaldo or anyone else who happens to be playing centre-forward. OK, I have two quick questions on the De Jong situation. Are we sure he's still that good and, and that... Um effective he's been okay at Barcelona you wouldn't say it's been a stunning success which is kind of why he's available slash unavailable um, that's the first question and the second one is really if he is that important to everything if he's like the thing that unlocks the whole situation then why the hell haven't they just paid whatever the money is and get him in because like they can totally afford it um, I can see to some extent why they don't want to pay the money. Like, why sh- he's deferred wages for Barcelona during COVID. Why on earth should United foot that bill? Why should they pay his wages for when he was playing to Barcelona? I mean, the, United don't run in the same way that some football clubs run, where they just give the money because the people who run the club want to take money out rather than put money in and they're bothered about making money before they're bothered about being good at football. So there's that. But no one wants people to laugh at them or to feel that, like, why should United pay his way for a time when he was playing for Barcelona? So I do have an understanding of that. And there's also, with the money, there's an opportunity cost because United's then if you spend money on one thing, can't spend it on another thing. So I can see why they don't want to do it. But yeah, at some point you might think sometimes you need to put the football first and say, we need him, we want to get him in, let's just get this done and be done with it. So I see, I do see both sides of that. But then in terms of De Jong and his success at Barcelona, I think the kind of role that Tenach has in mind for De Jong is not the kind of role he plays at Barcelona. Barcelona play 4-3-3. They play uh, Busquets in front of the back four. And then in front of them, they've got Pedri and Gavi as basically two eights, if we have to call things that now. Uh, whereas I think De Jong, he's not really a six because he wants to run about the pitch and get into adventures. So you can't have him playing just in front of the back four because then you're limiting what he's able to do. So I think the way that Ten Hag's going to play is he's probably going to play 4-2-3-1. So he wants someone else next to De Jong so that De Jong is the guy you want taking the ball off the back four because he's a great passer and a brilliant ball carrier. So he can take the ball off the defence and kind of set the play. 
but he's not going to be an anchor because in order to be able to do that effectively, he's got to move. You want him to be popping up in different areas of the pitch. So I'm not sure who's going to play next to him. So to me, that's actually a more pertinent question than who's going to, what are they going to do on, on next to De Jong to allow De Jong to do his thing? Then is De Jong still good? Although when you sign any player, pretty much, you never really know what they're going to do until you see him. You see all these things that people write and say about this team won the transfer window like it's some kind of separate sport or this team's had a great window. And the truth is, is you never know. United won the league three years in a row. They signed Veron and Van Nistelrooy and then they didn't win the league. And sometimes it's about the balance of a team, but it also can just be more, even more, it's just, it can be about the alchemy of the personalities as well. And that kind of thing, you never really know how good someone is until you see him play. So what's the scenario most likely then here where Manchester United have a midfield of Frankie de Jong and a another? Uh, who is that person, do you think? Who do you think it's going to be? Uh, I don't know. If you watch, uh, like watching Christian Eriksen play for Brentford last season, he played quite deep. I'm not sure that you'd feel that you could get away with De Jong, Eriksen and Bruno in all the games, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it in some of the games with Eriksen playing a bit deeper. Otherwise, um, I, think, I think it's more likely in the end to be McTominay than Fred because Fred is more of a, he's kind of a, a mouse at Fred. You want him chasing about, winning the ball back a bit higher up the pitch. McTominay is also not not someone who's really a number six, but he's a, he's a better ball carrier than Fred. He's more physical. And the thing with McTominay, I think, is his long-range passing can be quite good. The problem with him is it's more about explaining to him, and I don't understand why anyone's been un, unable to explain this to him previously, because it doesn't seem very complicated, but explaining to him that you have to, that he finds himself unable to take the ball off the back four quite often because he's standing in the cover shadow. So he's blocked by someone pressing from the other team. Now, that doesn't seem like something that should be complex, that should be difficult to sort out. So if they can sort that out, then my guess would be McTominay. But if you said to me, which players do you want to buy this summer? I would be saying my top three in order would be midfielder, midfielder, right back. Um, I guess what's happened is Tenach knows that Zandre Martinez is available, so he thinks he's good enough to play for him, so he's trying to buy him because he's available and he knows that he's good. And I think one of the things with Tenach is that because you've got players who come to United not really because of United, because of him, it means that it's possible that the best players he can sign are players that have played for him before because the other best players he might want to sign won't come to United at this point because they're not in the Champions League. It's been a bit of a graveyard for anyone half decent yeah. over the last nine years. But there are other players who will come and play for Ten Hag because they, they like played him. for him before, so yeah. they're signing to play for him because they trust him. That's fair enough. Uh, one quick question about um, England's 8-0 win over Norway last night. We expected that to be a game which was much more even. Um, so, uh, you know, it's ultimately a massive statement from the England women's team at a home Euros. Uh, football's coming home. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, that was, it, that was a brilliant performance because Norway are not mugs. And I think one of the things what, that you're seeing with this England team is the difference a proper coach makes. England, England should have won the last World Cup when they got to the final, really. But they didn't seem to know what they were doing because Phil Neville was managing them. I mean, even to this day, it's just absolutely staggering that Phil Neville somehow got that job based on what exactly. 
And I felt to me at the time that that was, that was the difference, a proper manager and they win that competition. Whereas now they've got a much better manager and they've got so many players in form. Um, the way that they've sorted out the midfield with, um, with Walsh and Stanway has given them some really good control. Um, Beth Mead, just also someone who I think maybe lacked a bit of confidence the season before last, but um, under Jane Seidevall, oh, she's just, she, she's, she's come on so much. And um, they are absolutely rammed for the goals um, and not just on the pitch either, but they've got so much, so much on the bench as well that they've got the opportunity to change games that aren't going their way. Um, I think one the one one signs of caution is just there are other good teams in this competition, and I just I couldn't help while I was watching while I was watching the highlights. So I was on the plane yesterday, so I didn't actually see the game live. Thinking of um, Argentina against Serbia, yeah, um, in two thousand and six, where you kind of watched that game. Argentina just wiped Serbia off the pitch, and you thought, oh my gosh, how is a team? This is this is the best team in this competition. Yeah, but it's not that often. The best team in the group stages is still the best team at the end of the competition. No, but. Other teams will be watching that and they will be hoping they avoid England in the draw. Well, that Argentina team did famously leave Leo Messi on the bench when they needed a goal in extra time. So, you know, <laughs> you, you would hope that uh, something similar might not happen to this England team if that's going to be the case. Daniel, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.